Hey everyone, I'm George Davis, and I want to thank you for joining us for this online service of the Hershey Free Church as we continue our series in the Ten Commandments. Now, several years ago, uh, our family was traveling in Israel, and on a Saturday morning, uh, one of our sons was late getting to breakfast in the hotel we were staying in. And he was late getting downstairs to the lobby for breakfast because he had inadvertently stepped onto an elevator that had a sign like this, Shabbat elevator. Now, the word Shabbat in Hebrew means Sabbath. And um, when you travel in Israel, particularly in large hotels, you will discover that they often have one elevator that is designated as a Sabbath elevator or a Shabbat elevator. And what that means is this. On the Sabbath, particularly Saturday, that elevator will be programmed to automatically stop at every floor going up and going down. And that's what happened to my son, and that's why he was late to breakfast. And and obviously the purpose of programming the elevator this way is this. Uh, That means you can ride the elevator without having to push the button, which for many would be interpreted as working on the Sabbath something that is perceived to be prohibited by the fourth commandment. So this very unusual practice now leads us to the fourth commandment as we go through uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, which deals with remembering the Sabbath. Now, even if you've never, even if you've never stepped onto an elevator with that kind of signage, uh, some of us may remember that there was a time in our nation's history when at a cultural level, we really treated Sunday as the Sabbath and certain businesses were closed, certain types of commerce couldn't take place. Many states actually had what were referred to as blue laws that limited activity on Sunday. And uh, of course, those days are now gone. And and perhaps for many, there's this sense that the fourth commandment, right? Remember the Sabbath is is simply something that's quaint. It's archaic. It's it's an approach to life that really doesn't belong in our fast-paced culture. However, as we've seen over the last few weeks, I think for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who are followers of Christ, uh, for us, in an ongoing way, the Ten Commandments are their guidelines. They help show us the path of what it looks like to follow Christ well. And they're guard ra- guardrails. They help kind of put up warning signs in the path to warn us about what it looks like to get off the path. And even though this, this fourth commandment seems very ancient and maybe antiquated in our culture, there really is still wisdom here for us to learn. And uh, to show you what I mean, let's now just begin to unpack this commandment. We'll start by reading it, and then I'm going to ask a series of questions. So here's the way the uh, fourth commandment is recorded in the book of Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male nor female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So let's just kind of begin unpacking this by asking a series of questions. So, okay, so what exactly is 
the Sabbath, where we're, we're, we're really introduced to the concept of Sabbath in uh, Exodus chapter 16, right? As, as the nation was traveling out of Egypt in the, the wilderness of Sinai, uh, uh, God provided food for them. He provided meat. He provided quail. He also provided this right, bread-like unusual substance known as manna. And they were to collect that food supply daily. Uh, But on the sixth day, they were to collect enough for two days so that they could rest on the seventh day. In fact, Exodus 16 then refers to the seventh day as a day of Sabbath rest. And basically, the concept of Sabbath is is linked to the idea of stopping, of, of resting. So in their travels, right, as they were on the road, they begin this pattern of working six days and resting on the seventh. And now with the Ten Commandments, that that practice that they had just started was to become an ongoing reality, an ongoing rhythm for them. Thus, as they would eventually settle in the land, as they would eventually, you know, start, plant crops and build homes and develop communities, the expectation was that they would continue this rhythm. That would be part of their approach to life of working six days, resting on the seventh. And understand that this would, among other things, make Israel unique among the nations that surrounded them because scheduled rest was very much a novelty in the ancient world. Now, if if this were the pattern, right, this was the pattern of working six days, resting on the Sabbath, let's just kind of get, unpack that a little further and say, well, what, what was the purpose Right? What was the purpose of, of all that they were doing? Well, first of all, I think it's clear in, in both Exodus and Deuteronomy, as they talk about the Sabbath, that th- this, this time of rest had a Godward t- dimension. It was to honor God, right? Uh, uh, we see in Exodus that it is a Sabbath day to the Lord. We see that both in Exodus 16 in the wilderness, as well as repeated in Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments. The, the Sabbath was to have a Godward dimension. This is why over time, the, the Sabbath would become a, a day of prayer, a day of study, and a day of worship, but but it's clear from the very beginning, the purpose wasn't simply to honor God. It was also to benefit people. It was to be a day of rest. This becomes particularly clear, I think, um, in the version recorded in Deuteronomy, right? The version of the Ten Commandments that's given right before the people enter the land. It was to be a day when everyone rested, right? Not just the landowners, not just the elites, not just the people of higher social status. It was to be a day when everyone stopped. Uh, Every worker stopped, even the animals. So so when we look in Israel's history, this, this was really, this was the rhythm, the practice of Sabbath. It was intended to kind of reorient us in a God direction, and it was intended to be a day of rest, renewal, and restoration. So if, if this is what Sabbath looks like in, in, you know, in the storyline of the Bible and the history of Israel, let's now begin to move this forward, you know? So let's now begin to start turning the page a little bit and think about, well, what about us? 
how, how are we to think about Sabbath? And I think, I think the place to begin there is to pay attention to the Sabbath in the New Testament and, and how this theme unfolds in the New Testament. And when we come to the Gospels, uh, we see something very interesting and fascinating, and that is this. Jesus often got in trouble because of the things he did on the Sabbath. For instance, he gets in trouble for healing on the Sabbath. As it turns out, the Sabbath day was Jesus's favorite day to renew and restore and heal people. And perhaps I think that says something about how the concept of, of Sabbath was linked with the God's desire to restore and heal his people. In addition to healing on the Sabbath, uh, Mark chapter 2 records this fascinating scene where uh, Jesus' disciples were walking along the edge of a, a grain field on the Sabbath. And you know what? They, they just began picking heads of grain along the way. And, and there were Pharisees, right, who were always watching Jesus, always monitoring what he was doing, looking for some misstep. And uh, they began raising questions. Look at your disciples. They're working on the Sabbath. And And Jesus has a fascinating response. Notice what he says. Then he said to them, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, as you as you look at Jesus's intriguing response to that situation, notice just a couple of things. First, notice that that Jesus really highlights the idea that the Sabbath concept was given to benefit people, right? Right? He says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was never intended to be burdensome. Yet by Jesus' day, so many meticulous rules had been added to this concept that, it, that that's exactly what had happened. So Jesus highlights the fact that the Sabbath was to be beneficial to people. But secondly, notice this provocative and powerful claim that Jesus makes in referring to himself and he often referred to himself as the son of man he says the son of man is lord even of the sabbath now just let that radical claim sink in for a moment what does what does that mean for Jesus to say he is lord of the sabbath well remember what Jesus said in the sermon on the mount he argued that that all of the old testament law including the 10 commandments all of the old testament law pointed to him it 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 was leading up to him and ultimately that it was fulfilled in him Uh, so what he's actually arguing here among other things is that is that the rest the restoration that's anticipated in the rhythm of sabbath is ultimately found in him it is ultimately fulfilled in him it's a powerful claim that he's making and not surprisingly then Uh, as we continue working our way through the New Testament, it becomes clear that Jesus' own life and ministry affected how the early generations of Christians uh, thought about the concept of Sabbath. And and I'll just mention two ways that this is the case. First of all, uh, in light of Jesus' ministry and his death, burial, and resurrection, The early Christians, and there are just a couple of clues that this was taking place, but it was definitely happening. The early Christians began gathering for corporate worship on Sunday. And they began referring to this as the Lord's Day. Obviously, in uh, 
honor and, and remembrance and celebration of the fact that Christ was raised on the first day. And of course, this is a practice that we continue uh, centuries later. So in light of, of Jesus's ministry and his life and the storyline of his resurrection, the, the early Christians began worshiping on the first day of the week, and they began referring to it as the Lord's Day. But there's a second way I think Jesus's life and ministry affected the approach of, of the early church, and that is this. They view Jesus as the fulfillment of the Sabbath, right? We already anticipated this in the words of Jesus, but it becomes clear that this is the ongoing understanding of the early church. Uh, For instance, look at this statement made by Paul in his letter we know as Colossians. He says this, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, now notice this, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So notice once again that Paul is picking up this same idea that was evident in the teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus, that the the Old Testament, these Old Testament patterns and traditions were all leading up to Christ, and they're all fulfilled in Christ. And so I, I think the reality that we have to come to grips with is that um, in light of the work of Christ, the, uh, you know, this is part of Scripture. This is part of the Old Covenant, but we're not under the Old Covenant anymore. We're under the New Covenant because Christ has now come. Now, here's one of the implications of this, and you need to hear me clearly on this because I think it's, it's really important for us, particularly maybe those of us who've grown up in church. One of the implications for the early church, because they they saw the way the Old Testament and the Old Covenant was fulfilled in Christ, one of the implications was this. They did not treat Sunday as the new Sabbath. They gathered for worship, they gathered for celebration, but it wasn't Sabbath. Christ had fulfilled that. It was the Lord's Day. Now, I realize, and I'm I'm quite aware of this, I realize that some of us have grown up in Christian contexts where we've really been taught to think about Sunday as the new Sabbath. I heard one person describe it this way. You know, he talked about, you know, I would come home after church on Sunday as a kid, and and we'd have lunch. And he said, and, and then I just remember, I just remember always looking out the window of the front of my house. Because when I, when I looked out the front window, I would, I would see other kids playing. And even maybe at times I'd you know, face plant my head against the window, my face against the window, and envy those other kids that were playing because, you know, they could play, I couldn't because it was Sunday, but we viewed Sunday as the Sabbath. Now, the truth is, in different ways, I think many of us maybe have grown up with that approach. And if you have, again, please hear this clearly. I realize that's how many of us maybe have been brought up. But that's not how the early church approached this. In fact, the view that that Sunday is the new Sabbath is, is a view that actually doesn't become popular until the Middle Ages. So we, we have to come to grips with the fact that um, biblically, as, the, as Jesus taught it, as the early church understood it, in a real sense, the Sabbath has now been fulfilled in Christ. And, 
And we are not under the old covenant. We're not under the Ten Commandments. We're under the new covenant. So now what do we do with all this, right? In light of that, what do we do now? I mean, uh, we see the value, the, clearly the value and the importance of the Sabbath in the Old Testament, in Israel's history. And we could even unpack that further to show you how important how uh, uh, decisive it was in Israel's history, but we also have to recognize as followers of Christ that we are not under the law. We're not under the old covenant. So how do, how do we make sense of the fourth commandment now? Well, here's, I think, a helpful observation uh, from A.T. Lincoln in a collection of essays in a book entitled From Sabbath to Lord's Day. Uh, a gifted New Testament scholar who's looked at this issue uh, very carefully and here's what he writes God's concern for the whole person and for all his creatures being able to have regular rest from their work surely instructs us instructs us that although the literal Sabbath day of rest has been abrogated that's that means it's come to an end and has not been transferred to Sunday we should share this concern for regular periods of rest, both for ourselves and for others in our society. Now, as, as I've said all along throughout this series, while we're not under the Ten Commandments as followers of Christ, there is wisdom here. And when it, when it comes to the Fourth Commandment, I think there's still wisdom for us that, that, that we need to pay attention to. There's wisdom here about how you and I are designed, how we are intended to flourish. And, and, and in fact, I think one, one of the ways that you can think about the fourth commandment is this. The fourth commandment helps us understand what it takes for humans to be human. So with that in mind, let me just highlight some of the, a couple of the themes of wisdom that I think are still relevant for us that flow out of this fourth commandment. First, I think what the fourth commandment reminds us in an ongoing way, I think part of the wisdom of this commandment is the fact that it shows us we are designed for rhythms of work, worship, and rest. I mean, I think the, among other things, the, the fourth commandment reminds us that we are designed to work. Work is to be part of the human experience. There is value and dignity in our work, whatever that may be. But we're also, we're also designed for worship remember in different ways the 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 old testament described the sabbath as as to the lord right there was to be a godward dimension we're designed for worship in an ongoing way this is why as a community we gather on a weekly basis in person and online i think this is part of the reason why it's important for us to build rhythms of worship into our personal routine whatever that may look like for you and let me just remind you this is one of the reasons that we provide a weekly devotional guide that kind of helps you to get into scripture on your own and if if you haven't checked that out you can find that at hfcinfo.com as you look up the sermons we want to help you in an ongoing way develop rhythms of worship really in your own life but even as we're designed for rhythms of work and worship, we're also designed for rhythms of rest. And can I suggest, I think for some of us, this is, this is, the, place where, <laughs> this is the place where the wisdom of the fourth commandment really challenges us. It challenges us because it can, it can become countercultural. 
I mean, one of the things I think this ancient command confronts are the ways that, that we can become addicted to busyness. Author Meyer Friedman has coined the phrase hurry sickness. He notes that that, that can be a problem in our culture. Hurry sickness is the idea that we seek to cram more and more things into less and less time. And in our busyness, we lose sight of the importance of rest. Along those lines, let me just, I'm just going to ask a couple of questions just for you to think about that, that even now can help you think about, how, you know, how busy are you? How hurried is your pace to life? Let me, let me just read a couple of questions and uh, just allow you to process that as we go. Okay, here we go. Do I regularly work longer than my contracted hours? Do I constantly check my phone for emails? Has anyone said to me, I don't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are? Do friends and family complain about not getting enough time with me? Do I constantly speed up activities? Do I have time to pray? Do I feel that everything in life is urgent? Do I find it hard to relax, to take a break? Do I indulge in self-destructive escapes from fatigue and stress? You see, here's the reality. Maybe some of you said, oh, a lot of those questions nailed me. Well, if that's the case, please keep this in mind. If we're not careful, our addiction to busyness, our, our commitment to a hurried life without rest can truly deplete us emotionally, relationally, spiritually, physically. I think we can become tired and exhausted at the deepest level of who we are and not be attuned to that because we're always busy. In fact, some of you now might even say, you know what, it, it just feels like my, my gas gauge is on empty, I'm running on fumes, but I'm staying busy. And that, that, that goes against the wisdom of the fourth commandment, which tells us we need rhythms of rest. A.J. Swoboda, uh, Swoboda has written a helpful book called <laughs> Subversive Sabbath, and uh, there's also a podcast where he talks a little bit about the theme of Sabbath. There's the link to that in the sermon notes, and you might want to check that out. It's a helpful reference. But he, he describes he describes this state, really, of constant busyness, constant activity as Sabbath amnesia. And here's, here's what he writes early in his book. He said, the result of our Sabbath amnesia is that we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. It's a heavy claim. In bowing at the sacred altars of hyperactivity, progress, and technological compulsivity, our souls increasingly pant for meaning and value and truth. If you can identify with that, in any case, remember the wisdom that you and I need regular rhythms of work, worship, and rest. Not only that, I think we, uh, another principle that's really embedded in the fourth commandment is this. We need to understand that our work is important, but it's not ultimate. Our, our, our work is <laughs> important, but not ultimate. One author noted this. He said, you know, if I break some of the commandments, I can get in trouble. But if I break the fourth commandment, I can get a raise. 
And, and for some, I think it's possible for our work responsibilities to, to bleed into other dimensions of our lives in such a way that we are never off the clock. But the wisdom of Sabbath challenges that thinking. When I in- incorporate some form of Sabbath into my life, I think it, it reorients me to the truth that life isn't all about me and what I do. It can reorient me to the truth that I'm now in relationship with God through Christ. And it can reorient me to the truth that I am the recipient of his grace. And I need to live in that grace. So remember again, you need regular rhythms of work, worship, and rest. Recognizing that I think there's practical wisdom here. Let's just talk just for a few minutes about, okay, putting this into practice. Okay, so what does this actually look like? And I have to be careful here because I'm not going to tell you exactly what this needs to look like for you because I think it's going to, it's going to look differently in our lives. Uh, it's not going to look the same. And for some of us, it may look different in different seasons of our lives. So there's, there's no simple template that's going to work for everyone. For instance, I think for some, there may be a regular day of the week that, that you are intentional about unplugging and recharging, a, a regular day of the week that has a feel of Sabbath rhythm for you. I was talking uh, this week to a person in our church who does this regularly, and I said, just, would you just write up uh, your description of what this looks like for you? And, and here's what she wrote. She said, a typical Monday Sabbath for me looks like sleeping in, not setting an alarm, and moving slow. I sip my chai slow, spend extended time reading, journaling, and sitting with the Lord. I might watch a sermon or listen to a podcast. I might take a walk. Brunch food is always a must. I might get lost in a good book, grab coffee with a friend, or sit in the sun and breathe deep. I don't check my email, do work, and I keep my phone on do not disturb. I have to fight for the Sabbath and to keep my schedule clear of non-Sabbath things. But practicing the Sabbath is something that has changed my life. I found that I can, do as a, I can do a whole lot more in six days when I Sabbath than I can on my own in seven days without Sabbath. Now, for some, that pattern works. For others of you, 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 you listen to that and you just smiled and you went, well, if only I had the freedom or the time to do that. So it's not going to look the same in each of our lives. For some, maybe it is it's a day of the week. Uh, but for others, maybe it's, it's just part of the day part of a day where I really seek to be intentional in unplugging and, and intentional in recharging. Uh, for some, maybe what happens is part of your Sabbath rhythm is a, a family rhythm, a family activity. One family wrote this. They said, you know, for us, it means ceasing from work, turning off our phones, celebrating how good God is by playing, partying, and eating good food. We welcome Sabbath on Friday night with a huge feast and observe Sabbath all day Saturday. Our only rule is to do what's life-giving, special, and good for the soul. So I, I don't know what it would look like for you, but I am, I mean, I'm really wanting to encourage you to, in some sense, incorporate a rhythm of Sabbath into your life. And without prescribing exactly what that looks like, let, let me just maybe highlight four principles to keep in mind in terms of what you need to do. I think, right, first, we've got to stop. We've got, we've got to kind of pull out of our regular routine. And to be honest with you, I think part of stopping means I have to disconnect from this in some intentional way. Not only do we need to stop, we, right, it's, we, need, to, we need to rest. 
It's, it, right? It's stopping. It's slowing down. Remember, that's the, the heart of the concept of Sabbath. I think, furthermore, in some point, in, in some way, there, there needs to be delight. Uh, author Steve Cuss says that each of us needs to, now think about this, each of us needs to form a life-giving list. And he talks about listing the people, the places, the activities um, that are life-giving for you. And if you've never done that, I, I encourage you to do that. What's really life-giving for you? I mean, uh, maybe here's another way to think about it. What things remind you that you are God's child, not his employee, right? What things just kind of help you uh, kind of unplug from the rest of your week and, and recharge and reorient your, your life in, in an intentional uh, way? Uh, even even as I was preparing this message one afternoon, I was working on this and kind of challenged by the theme of Sabbath. So I went in and looked at my wife and said, we're going out to dinner tonight. Because you see, that's that's one of the things on my life-giving list, the dinner with my wife, dinner with my family. And so that night we, we just unplugged. We went out to dinner and it was, it was, it was just, it was a season of, of Sabbath. So we need to stop. We need to rest. We need to delight and, and we need to contemplate. Hopefully whatever your Sabbath rhythm can look like, it can be in some sense an activity that helps you reorient your life back to the truth of who God is and who we are in light of Christ's work. So I encourage you to wrestle with what this looks like for you. I mean, what is what does the rhythm, the wisdom of of Sabbath look like for you? Can I, can I challenge you to take that seriously? Because I think when you do when you truly begin wrestling with this theme of Sabbath, the, the rhythm of Sabbath, whatever it looks like, I think you will, will over time discover that ultimately the theme of Sabbath is not a command. It is a gift, a gift to recharge you, a gift to reorient you to who God is and what it looks like to be his child. With that in mind, would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, um, in some ways, of all the commandments, this can be perhaps one of the most countercultural. Because in the speed and the hurry at which we live, the idea of, of slowing down, of disconnecting, of recharging, can uh, feel very odd, very different, even as <laughs> odd as looking at that elevator that was marked with that particular sign. But Father, I, I pray that that we would ultimately... Uh, see this fourth commandment as something with ongoing wisdom for us, an ongoing guideline and guardrail that seeks to help us understand what it looks like to flourish, that seeks to help protect us from exhaustion and overwork. And and I pray that we would wrestle with what a, a rhythm of Sabbath might look like in our our lives as, as a time to just unplug, a, a time to to be recharged, a time to be reoriented to the reality of who you are and your grace that is to be at work in our lives. So with that in mind, um, thank you that you care for us. Thank you that you have given us your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for the ongoing seasons of Sabbath that can remind us of the wonder, the majesty of your grace 
of your generosity and of your work in our lives. And so I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So now as we continue working through the Ten Commandments, I challenge you to wrestle with this commandment seriously. I challenge you to, to wrestle with what Sabbath can look like in your life. And I encourage you to receive this as a gift from God himself. Amen.